please be seated. As we continue to worship God in prayer and through word, we do ask that God would speak what is true to our hearts this morning as we recognize that we come to offer him everything that we have and everything that we are, not because we have to, but because we get to, because he's already done that for us through his son, Jesus. He's given us all of himself, and he invites us to bring all of ourselves to him in worship. Would you pray with me again as we spend some time looking into his word? God, we do ask that you would speak what is true. God, we, we, we are seeking how to live well as followers of Jesus, to understand what it is that you have provided for us, for our well-being and our happiness and our deep sense of satisfaction and purpose in life. And so we ask that you would speak what is true through your word again today, reminding us of your great love and mercy and grace, as well as the great power that you have made available for us to experience the transformation of our lives from the inside out through the presence of your Holy Spirit in us. God, would you speak what is true today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in our series called Living Well, and we are talking about this idea in this New Year season of life about well-being. What does it mean to live well? What does it mean to find those deeper places of satisfaction and purpose in our lives? And as Christians, we've been saying that true well-being comes from the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. That's our starting point for well-being as Christians in this world. And and we've been talking about how this was demonstrated by Jesus in his conversation with the woman at the well, where he said, whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is the living well, and it's the Holy Spirit at work in our lives through the gift that he's given us that we can hope that we can believe that we can become more than we are today. That no matter what our life circumstances, there is help and there is hope through the power of Christ at work in our lives. Living well is really about learning how to be wise stewards of this life that God has given us. And it's about understanding the call of God on our lives and allowing the Spirit of God to empower us to live out the deeper purposes for why He created us, why He's given us the gifts and the talents and the resources that He has, and how He wants us to use those to further the kingdom of God in our own lives. Now, if we have to be honest, I think we could all probably agree that one of the most challenging areas, uh, areas for us to live this out can be the area of financial well-being. The Bible talks over and over again about how money and wealth is always a challenging issue for us as human beings. Uh, the book that we've been kind of looking at as a, as a primer, and there's a, there's a great assessment that you can take uh, to kind of grade yourself on the five key areas of well-being in your life. Uh, but they talk about in this well-being book that, generally speaking, people in wealthier countries have a higher standard of well-being, or they feel more well-off than people in lower-income countries. Well, that would make common sense, right, to us? They say this is true because people in wealthier countries just simply don't experience as much suffering. 
Because if you think about it, the, the wealth that we have in this country for a higher percentage of Americans allows us to, to not have as much need for food and shelter and clothing or to be worried about those things. We also have greater access to medical care and emergency services when we're in trouble. All of those things give us a greater sense of confidence and a, a feeling of well-being in our lives that people around the world don't often have the same resources that we do in wealthier countries. The reality is, the Bible tells us, is that money and wealth can impact our well-being in life and our sense of how good we're doing, whether we have a lot or a little. Biblically, money and wealth can be a problem for us because it, it, it can be a problem if you don't have enough because you always feel like you need more, right? Or you, you're worried about your life. You're, you're worried about where your next paycheck's going to come from. You're worried how you're going to get food on the table. But it can also be a problem if you have more than you need because then you're, you're worried about investing it and, and keeping it and, and storing it up for yourself. And this morning, I'd like to suggest that Jesus' perspective that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 12 is essentially that if you're focused on money for your happiness, whether you have a lot or a little, you're simply going to be disappointed. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12, and Jesus starts off talking about this uh, story of the rich young fool. Get my old man glasses on. There we go. Chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich. Toward God. Now let's pause there for a minute. We're going to work our way through parts of chapter 12 here, but I'd like to focus on this perspective that Jesus has on this man that by all worldly standards is highly successful, right? I mean, he, he is a person that we would lift up to say, this is a, a guy who has managed his resources well, he's wildly successful, and he's got a billion dollars in the bank. I mean, these are the heroes of Western culture, Right? I mean, he has his social security paid up, his 401k is fully vested, his portfolio is fully diversified, and he's ready to, to retire early. He's going to go out and hit the links, and he's going to travel, and he's going to eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, it's the American dream. And God says, you fool, because you don't know if today is your last day, if tomorrow is your last day, it might be tonight, it might be next week, it might be 10 years from now, but all that time you spent accumulating wealth to spend on yourself because you thought it was going to bring you happiness is wasted time and energy. It's not time to really start living because you never know when the end is going to come. We talked about this last week, right? The statistics on death are very compelling. One out of one, people die. 
See, he had no idea that his time for living was over. If you want to truly live well, do not store up treasure for yourself, Jesus says, but be rich toward God. Do not store up treasure for yourself, but be rich towards God. Now, now I don't think that Jesus is saying we shouldn't save. We shouldn't uh, put away money for our kids' college education. That we shouldn't have a retirement plan so that we have money to live on in, in our later years. I think all of that is a part of wise stewardship. But you see, Jesus is making the point that this man's whole focus was that he was going to store up all this wealth for himself to spend on himself so that he could live high on the hog and, and, and really find that that was really the end game of life. But in the meantime, he missed the whole point of this gift of life that God had given him to be a blessing to other people, to use the resources he had given to make a difference in the lives of other people. So the first principle of financial well-being that Jesus teaches us is don't store up stuff for yourself. That's selfishness. That's, that's greed. But, but be rich toward God. Focus on what God wants you to do. Focus on why God has perhaps blessed you with resources and how he might want you to use them to make a difference in God's world. Ironically, what we find is that when we focus on ourselves, we tend to judge ourselves in comparison to who? All the other people around us, Right? One of the interesting things that comes out of the studies that they have done for the well-being book is, the, is the, what they call the comparison dilemma. Now, now they, they do this little exercise, which I thought was interesting. I wanted to share it with you guys. He, they said, considering the following scenarios, which would you choose? Okay? Scenario one, you have an annual income of $50,000, while all the people around you earn $25,000. Or, scenario B, you have an annual income of $100,000, while all the people around you earn $200,000. Which do you think the majority of people chose? Well, it actually turns out to be half and half. 50% of the people said that they would prefer to make $50,000 less a year if those around them made half of what they were making. I mean, isn't that an amazing uh, statement on our psychology as human beings? Nearly half of the people would pick a lower salary if they could make more than the people around them. Then they said this quote, they said, it seems that the amount of money we make or the size of our home is less relevant than how we compare ourselves to others with our income and our possessions. Now, if you think about it, you can go back to the beginning of the story of the people of God and the Ten Commandments, right? You remember the Ten Commandments, those those kind of core value rules that God gave his people to live by. And, and, and one of those Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 17, said, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Do you think God knew from early on that we'd have trouble not comparing ourselves to one another? How much of our own sense of dissatisfaction with what God has given us comes from looking at what our neighbor has and feeling like, hey, that's not fair. I want what they have. You see, in the New Testament, Jesus is often interpreting the Ten Commandments as issues of the heart, not of external behavior. Rather than focusing on behavioral rules and standards for religiosity, Jesus is saying all these things that God has given us in his word are about our heart condition and understanding what motivates us to live life well or not. 
When we think about our sense of financial well-being, we need to realize that Jesus is telling us it's not an income issue, it's a heart issue. It's not an income issue, it's a heart issue. That's where he goes on to, to talk about how it's not how much or how little you have, but, but your perspective on money. Picking back up in chapter 12 in verse 22, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Verse 30, or uh, 29. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. See, for Jesus, this is a heart issue. What are you setting your heart on? What you set your heart on impacts your perspective on how well you're doing in life and and how God is treating you in your relationship with him, right? If you want to truly live well, Jesus is saying, don't worry about your life. Focus on the kingdom of God. If you focus on God's kingdom and his priorities, all these things find their right and proper place in your life, and you don't find yourself anxious and worrying about all these little things. God knows that we need them, and he promises that he will help us to take care of them. And part of that solution is Christian community. That's why he's given us one another, because he's given us all resources to help balance out the picture. Do not worry about your life Instead, seek his kingdom. And I would suggest that in seeking his kingdom, one of the biggest things that we can do is we can live lives of gratitude. Rather than focusing on what we don't have, how can we be, learn to be thankful for what we do have and recognize that maybe we have more than, than we really realize? And, and the question really is, how does what God has given us fit into the kingdom of God and is intended to be used for his purposes and not for our own? Which then leads us to the the third point that I think Jesus is making here is if you want to truly live well, not only don't worry, but don't be afraid. I mean, when we think about financial things in life, fear is really one of the motivating factors that underlies all of it. And that's why he, he says in verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your, what? Your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, all of this financial stuff for Jesus, it's a heart issue. It all starts with our perspective on what money and wealth means for us as believers. Don't, don't be afraid. Don't fear. In fact, as a, as a very 
tangible practice to, to overcome your fear, live generously. Give money to the poor. Give away to others in need. Show that you're not clinging to, to money and wealth as a, as a sign of your, your security, but, but you're living open-handed and open-hearted because that's the way God has lived with us. When we live generously and sacrificially, we're entering into the flow of God's kingdom, and God says that he will bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you value the most, Jesus is telling us, will have a hold on your heart. What you value most will will have a hold on your heart. If you value wealth the most as your your source of security and happiness and well-being, your heart will ultimately be disappointed. But if you value the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying the most, your heart will be at peace. And you can trust that God will provide for what you really need. Another interesting thing that the studies from the well-being book revealed is they, they said that we learned that the amount of money you have is not the best gauge for your financial well-being, let alone your life in general. A team of Harvard researchers found that spending money on yourself does not boost well-being. Let me say that again. A team of Harvard researchers <laughs> found that spending money on yourself does not boost well-being. I mean, we, we, we've heard this from Jesus over and over again. We've seen it in scriptures. People who spend money on themselves, they say, is le- experience less well-being than those who spend money on what, do you think? Other, other people. You see, sacrificial and generous living and giving is the pathway to experiencing financial well-being. It's the pathway to experiencing satisfaction, a deep sense of purpose in life, because we see everything that God has given us not as something to, to hoard or to grab onto or to hold to ourselves. In fact, if we do that and we spend money on the things for ourselves, what we find is that, that we, don't, we are less satisfied. I mean, how many of you as a kid got that Christmas present that you wanted so badly and you were so excited and you opened it? And you played with it for like 12 hours and then you put it in the closet and it sat there for the next three years, right? And we become so disenchanted with things so quickly because we we never get satisfaction from things and yet we are conditioned by our culture to to buy more, to to spend more, to, to always have more. And so we're on this vicious cycle where we're, we're, we're buying into the lie, but we're living more and more dissatisfied lives because satisfaction never comes from material wealth and things. They suggest in the book that spending money on other people is as important to people's happiness in life as the total amount of money that they'll make in their lifetime. Now, I'd like to suggest that Jesus talks about how the kingdom of God is is so valuable in changing our heart perspective and allowing us to experience well-being in all of these areas of our lives that it is worth more than anything else. Think about his words in the very short parable of the hidden treasure, Matthew 13:44. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. He sold all that he had and bought that field because in that one treasure was the value of all those other things that he could hope to possess. In closing for today, I'd like to suggest that if you want to truly live well financially, don't focus on storing up treasure for yourself, but instead learn how to be rich toward God. 
Don't worry about your life and what you'll eat and what you'll wear and the things that you need. God knows you need those things. Instead, seek first his kingdom and be grateful for all the things that you have. And God will put all of those things in the right priority in your life. And lastly, if you want to live well financially, don't be afraid of your future. Don't be afraid of your life. Instead, live open-handed and open-hearted. Live generously. Give away as you are able to be a blessing to others, and you will find a deeper sense of value and well-being in all of the resources that God has blessed you with so that you can be a blessing to others. True well-being comes from the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. Living well is about learning to see ourselves as wise stewards of the life that God has given us to live. It's about understanding the call of God on your life and on my life and our life as a church, allowing the Spirit of God to empower us to live out the deeper purposes of God in our lives. And I'm excited for our annual meeting today. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate all the things that God is doing and how he is blessing us richly so that we can be a blessing to those around us. And so I hope you stay for our annual meeting at 10 o'clock over in Snelling Hall. It's going to be a wonderful celebration of God's call on our lives and how we as a faith community are being wise stewards of all of the gifts and the resources that he's blessed us with. Would you pray with me?